That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Just don't, like all this other stuff. Just, don't worry about just it. Just praise the Lord. <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Before we begin, remember you can ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast at the end of the episode. You can ask us by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy this episode and you enjoy this podcast, please like, comment, share, subscribe, and leave us a review. Today we are discussing the readings for the 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year A. The prophet Isaiah praises an unlikely hero. St. Paul encourages us to practice the theological virtues, and the gospel navigates the two topics never to talk about at dinner, religion and politics. But first, the sacred and profane. We have some pretty big saints this week, I think. We do. Uh, We have uh, St. Luke on Wednesday. We have the Jesuit martyrs on, was that Thursday or Friday? Thursday. I think Thursday. Yep. Uh, St. Isaac Jogues and... John de de Brouf, Brebeuf. Brebeuf. I don't speak French, but I believe it's Brebeuf. Yeah, I I can, I can never get it right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to say it at mass or something like that. Right, I have to check in the collect if if we say his name. I can't remember, but yeah, I I don't know either. But it's neither here nor there. We can talk about some of the saints though. Yep. That are our sacred portion, Saint Luke, uh, obviously the the writer of the Gospel, Saint Luke, and yep. also Acts of the Apostles. Yep. And uh, personally, St. Luke's Gospel is my favorite of the four Gospels. Uh, I think the way he tells the story of Christ is very, uh, it it, it reads like an epic story almost. Uh, If you have, if you're familiar with some of the epics like, um, you know, Homer's uh, Iliad or Odyssey, uh, you get this sense of a, a great hero who is coming on the scene, right? And um, you know, as as a writer and and lover of story, um, it resonates with me a lot. Um, in Saint Luke's, you in Saint Luke's Gospel, you also get the three um, uh, canticles, right? That, yeah, that right. we use for morning prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer. Um, and so, yeah, there's a I don't know Saint Luke's Gospel really. Uh, it, there's an artistic flair to it. Uh, that's different from the other, at least the other synoptics. St. John's Gospel is kind of its own thing with, uh, you know, it's right. heavy theology. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I like St. Luke's Gospel the most. So Yeah, St. Luke has a nice poetic touch to his with the canticles, like you said, of Zechariah, the Magnificat. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? I forget. I know the Latin of it. But what is it? The, the Canticle Sin- Simeon? Simeon. Yeah. The Canticle Simeon. Yep. Right. And he's also purported to be a artist or an artist. Yeah, an artist and a physician. That's right. Uh, and yeah. so, if you're familiar with Our Lady of Czestochowa, mm-hmm. that that image, it's uh, is it the Black Madonna of Poland, I believe, uh, that is reportedly painted by Saint Luke. Mm. Uh, and so, the original, like you know, an image of Our Lady painted by one of the evangelists. It's pretty impressive. Impressive. Yeah, that is. Yeah, so his gospel is also very uh, Greek oriented. It seems right. like you know perhaps That's he seem, may have yeah. been highly educated. A lot of authors kind of speculate that the background of Saint Luke, how much classical education he would have had, how much philosophical education he would have had. Uh, there's his Last Supper discourse. A lot of people kind of 
like to connect it to a symposium mm-hmm. style uh, discourse or the the influence of the Greek symposium of having a meal and sharing that the, the master's main teachings. Right. So Christ is sort of the, the philosopher in yep. that moment, sharing his wisdom with his disciples. It's sort of like a, a what is, why am I blanking on his name? Socrates. Yeah. You know, kind of his, Socrates has a last discourse before he dies. Right, right. And shares some main teachings of philosophy. Yes, and in the Acts of the Apostles, written by um, Luke, again, is there's a few passages, uh, which I remember my uh, scripture professor called them the the I passages, like um, uh, it, it's from L- Luke's perspective, mm-hmm. where oh yes, right. where Paul is you know traveling and he picks up his other disciples, and Luke is one of them, and so Luke will write like and then I got in the boat or we got in the boat right, uh, and so you can kind of see Luke's origins in Acts of the Apostles and, and kind of pick up um, his background. It is very Greek oriented, um, very Hellenistic. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, so the salvation for the Gentiles is a major theme in Luke. Uh, the um, intersection between Hellenistic culture and Christianity, uh, you know, showing that how they're not necessarily opposed. Well, you know, while there are some things that necessarily need to be dropped from you know, a pagan lifestyle, of course, um, some of the philosophies uh, from Hellen- Hellenism, even in St. Luke and Acts, you can see it almost like, uh, as kind of like a, a seedbed for which in which uh, the gospel sprouts from, so you know being interested in philosophy, uh, learning about Greek philosophy in, in seminary, uh, Saint Luke's Gospel again just really resonated with me. So yeah, it's the most Greek for sure. You know, you have uh, the Gospel of Saint Matthew that is much more Jewish oriented. Yes, yeah, uh, kind of Gentile. Jew, obviously, but certainly has an eye towards the Jewish community mm-hmm. and the Jewish background, whereas St. Luke's is much more to the Greek background, and that's certainly exemplified not only in the Gospel, but in the Acts of the Apostles, kind of the companion volume to his to his Gospel, where you have, as you said, St. Paul going and, and debating with the philosophers and yeah. the Greeks, and that's where you also get this... the, the statue to the unknown god yes i was just thinking about that yep and you have that beautiful discourse where he says that we we live in god where we move and live and have our being Mm -hmm. which is you know very philosophical yeah on not maybe not on the surface but if you look at it certainly many philosophers and many theologians will expand upon that passage of what it means to be in god exactly and in luke you also get the infancy narratives which you don't get in any of the other synoptics Right, and so you get like um, the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. Uh, you get um, the, the nativity uh, again. If you're familiar with Greek literature, uh, it's it's all very epic, <laughs> um, and this is what the Canticles do too. Um, where before even Christ is born, there are these almost like these prophecies and these poems that are about this hero that's going to ascend, you know, into the scene. Uh, and it's all building up to something very um, epic. Uh, and right. so, yeah, it, it, the, the, the narrative of Christ's life is really beautifully portrayed in, in Luke's gospel. Again, um, mimicking uh, a kind of um, an epic nature um, and that, that story narrative. So, Yeah, if I re- remember correctly, the gospel of Luke 
the ending of the gospel and the and the start of Acts of the Apostle Acts of the Apostles kind of streamlines right and right, so run one right into the other right and that's something that my professor really noted too is that you kind of have to read them together uh, yeah. to get the full picture of what Luke how Luke understands Christ's mission and the church uh, it doesn't just end with you know Christ ascending into heaven but then you know the 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 ages of the age of the spirit, if you want to call it that, right? Like after Pentecost, um, it's one continuous narrative. Um, the Gospels and Acts of the Apostles. So. I find Acts of the Apostles very hard to read at times. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> honest; it's not as sometimes thrilling or compelling as sure. the Gospels. But I, I think it's absolutely crucial to read. Yeah, you know, if you could read them both together, mm-hmm. Luke and Acts of the Apostles, because I think if you if you read the Gospels. Detached from Acts, you can kind of get just kind of a collection of very wise sayings from a wise man, you know, like life mm-hmm. principles to live by. But then it really shows the Acts of the Apostles show, though, that this was a church. Yeah, it wasn't just right. a an itinerant preacher who gave us a way of life, but also a foundation. Yeah, of of a church and a hierarchy and a ministry. Yeah, and I think what else. Acts shows is that the hierarchy is there. The first thing that happens in Acts is you have the apostles gathering, and they immediately have to replace Judas Iscariot. And so that's where you get the apostle uh, Matthias from. Uh, and it's very clear how the the early church understood this principle of hierarchy, and the 12 apostles are kind of the, um, they're, how, how would you say, I guess, not in a sense of replacement or like the fulfillment maybe uh, maybe of the tribes of Israel, right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the fact that there's one missing, that there's only 11 apostles now after Judas Iscariot killed himself uh, to replace that number so that the 12 can reign again. Uh, I think it, it, reading Acts, it kind of flies in the face of this sense of Christianity without a church, right? Or Christi- Christianity that's personal and private and just... You know, embodying what Christ said in your own life, detached from a community. Yeah. Um, one of the principles in Acts is that communal church, yeah. um, one body. Wait, the see Council the, of Jerusalem. Right. I was just yeah. going to say the primacy of Peter right. is in the Acts of the Apostles. So, yeah, to, again, just to get that fuller understanding of what Christ's mission was about, even after he left, Acts of the Apostles is an, like, an absolutely crucial book of, of the New Testament. Yeah. So. It's very unique to have one author for both of those. I guess right, what, right. what I'm trying to say is you have a gospel that has the life of Christ, and then you have the Acts, which is after after Christ, which he yes. says that the establishment and continuation yep. of Christ's ministry. Right. And like I said, not just this disembodied, detached, exactly. personal belief, what I think about the afterlife and everything like that, but actually a community of believers. Yeah, you can almost it's understand like the, 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 the gospels as like the myth, right? Yeah. Like, and not myth as in a fake, but like, you know, the, the narrative form. Right. Um, and the Acts of the Apostles as the embodied form, right? Yeah. So like a little bit of a, a Gnostic thing going yeah, on. Yeah, a little bo- body, body, <laughs> body soul, soul thing. Body soul. <laughs> and then uh, we have the North American martyrs of St. Isaac Jokes, and we'll just say St. John. Saint, yeah. Because I'm not <laughs> so going to... So don't butcher the French name I'm, anymore. Yeah, I'm not going to butcher the French name anymore. But very <laughs> heroic men and men that when I was studying church history, it really captivated my imagination. You know, you have these very heroic Jesuits that yeah. were willing to suffer these pretty horrific martyrdoms. Yeah. In fact, you know, St. Isaac Jogues got away from his his one, his near martyrdom. He returned to France. 
And right, right he was yeah. at the missions, he was tortured, his fingers were gnawed. Yep. Gnawed off. And I forget the exact story, but you know, he gets free, goes back to France, and then says, I want to go back to the missions. Yeah. Which is kind of insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's like that's that's heroic virtue. Yeah. His des- like his desire to spread the word, um, it just overtook him. Like and, and like death was nothing for him. That's the mark of a true martyr, of course. Love for Christ is just surpassing all things, and he felt like this was his vocation, like to go to these people, even if he knew, like, it, he wasn't even like it wasn't just martyrdom; he was tortured, right? Like right. gnawing off his fingers. That's no, that's not a small little, you know, slap on the wrist. <laughs> um, so it, his his love for the new world and, and their salvation was really, yeah, inspiring. It's interesting the almost uh, mythological character that was given to some of the Jesuits. And I sometimes tried to place myself in the Americas at that time, right? Because these Jesuits show up and they, they do not look like the native population. You know, they have different hair, different hair color, different skin color, different eye color. Like everything about them is, is different. And they have these black robes. And they were saying how there was, they were often seen as almost supermen mm. because kind of unbeknownst to the Europeans, they were spreading smallpox. But because the Europeans had built up a tolerance to it or an immunity, they themselves were unaffected. By right. So Interesting. There was this sort of fearsome aura around the Jesuits as they almost seemed to bring death with them, but they were unaffected by it. I almost think of like our almost uh, alien invasion movies, you know, where right. it's like you know, the aliens are maybe spreading, a di- spreading something that we can't see, but they're unaffected. And it's it would have been a very, I don't, I don't know say awesome and I mean that in the sense of awe, being awe filled inspiring. with yeah. yeah, being filled with awe that you have people that you've never seen before, and they're bringing this this kind of different gospel, this different message, and yet they're unaffected by this disease, and mm. they undergo these heroic sufferings. It's it's all very, um, I said yeah. almost uh, like, like something from a movie. Fantastic, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I, I yeah. I'm reminded of like you know uh, Gandalf, like the the archetype of the wizard who goes into a town. Very different from everyone. Yeah. And everyone just says, like, oh, you bring chaos wherever you go, you know. Uh, it, it's kind of that same thing. Oh, yeah, vein. right. <laughs> yeah. So, very interesting. And then you told me a, a story about John de uh, Rebouf. Uh, that was pretty impressive about uh, his his heroism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that he was, he was so stoic, they said, during his martyrdom. And he was so worried about other people, you know, that he never apparently complained and never cried out in pain. And so after he died, it's rumored that the, the natives ate his heart because they said this man was such a courageous person that he was able to undergo these these horrible tortures without crying out in pain. And by consuming his heart, they would like I guess, receive it, some receive, of that yeah, energy. Exactly, to, yeah. to absorb his strength. Yeah, That's uh, very Eucharistic, but in a wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you get the idea. You right? get the idea. The symbolic of absorbing someone's yeah. strength, but it's uh not not quite. Yeah. That's yeah, that's very fascinating. Um the the the, the mythological aspect to the Jesuit um evangelization. I think that's why I think you know, some of these um a lot of these communities um were converts like a lot of them actually did convert to christianity and almost maybe in the same way how 
Christianity spread in uh, Greece uh, when St. Paul visited, uh, as we were talking about in, in the Acts of the Apostles. So, too, perhaps their misguided, the natives' misguided attempts at religion perhaps was also a seedbed for Christianity in some ways, too. Yeah, I mean, the Jesuits who were in North America fully believed that the Native Americans could accept the gospel. Yeah. You know, they, that's why they were there. They, right. they thought the gospel is compatible with all religion or all, I said, cultures mm-hmm. and all peoples yeah. and all nations. So Isaac Jokes would not have gone back a second time if he didn't believe it. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, you know, they, they fully believed that God came to save all people through his gospel, mm-hmm. everyone, and therefore it is compatible to certain degrees, obviously, there's some kind of absorption and integration. There's a rejection of the bad and acceptance of the mm-hmm. good of you know different cultures and nations. But regardless, they they believe that they could uh, the native population could accept the gospel yeah. and live the gospel. So uh, anything on anything on the profane? It's getting cold. That's nice. <laughs> yes, it's a PSL season. Is that is that? Yeah. yeah, pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte season. That's right. <laughs> Full admission. I, I love the pumpkin. I love the like pumpkin. I, oh, you know, pumpkin oh, pancakes, like, yes. pumpkin drinks. Pumpkin pie pumpkin is my beer. favorite pie, yeah. probably. Um, you know, to be honest, though, I'm not a huge fan of pumpkin spice lattes. Um, oh. but everything else, pumpkin, I'll, I'll eat. Yeah. So. The pumpkin spice latte. The veil was removed from my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> recently it was because i thought it was like some sort of like special spice concoction yeah but it's like i think it's like nutmeg cinnamon and pumpkin spice um it's not even i think sometimes it's really sometimes it, i think it's like cloves nutmeg cinnamon ginger sugar some, something else yeah maybe pumpkin pie spice but that's actually like even something else really because that, that there's so there's like no pumpkin flavor in it well well now there's a distinction between pumpkin spice and pumpkin. And, punk, and pumpkin pie. Oh, okay. You know, like the coffee okay. shop across the street from me, there's there's two different. Technically, okay. technically they're, they're not I the am same. not caught up in my pumpkinology. Yeah. So. Well, once I learned the pumpkin spice that maybe doesn't even have pumpkin in it, I was, you know, it was... Disillusioned. Yeah. Like, my faith is shaken. That's yeah. <laughs> I entered the dark night of the soul. Like, you know, it was like everything I thought to be true was not true. Oh, man. Like, I can't believe this. No, but I'm I'm excited to break out my jackets and my sweaters. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's let's let's bring on the cold. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I, I naturally hot blooded, so and I'm on an academic schedule as a chaplain to a high school, and so to be looking forward <laughs> to Christmas break right. is a nice thing. So <laughs> that's right. Well, shall we? Yes. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Okay, so I think the theme. Of this week's of this weekend's readings really has to do with the kingship of God. That seems to be a, a main theme in the first reading, in the in the Psalm, and in the Gospel. Uh, and in our first reading from Isaiah, Isaiah forty-five, we have a very fascinating character that's or figure, I should mm-hmm. say, in the Old Testament that's immediately introduced, and it's the figure of King Cyrus. And King Cyrus is first introduced in in Ezra 1. And he's the king of Persia. And he actually allows for the, the Israelites to return to their homeland, return to Jerusalem. And not only does he free them and let them go back to Jerusalem, but he helps them rebuild the temple. 
And so in our first reading, he gets a, a unique title. He's called God's Anointed. Yeah. And that's a title only reserved for Israelite kings. Right. To be, and, and the anointed here is a Messiah. Mm. So he's a Messiah to the Lord, and he's, he's the only non-Israelite to receive that title. So he's, he's a very unique character, again, in, in the Old Testament because of this being a pagan Gentile who gets this title of anointed one right. from the Lord. Right. And I think when I was going through this first reading, I think more, one of the things that popped up to me was that you don't necessarily have to be a Christian for God to use you for the good, right? Yes. Uh, and so and I say Christian, I'm Christianizing um, the, the, the context here. But, you know, this this phrase in the middle of the, the first reading where he says, I have called you by name, giving you a title, though you knew me not. And so even the pagans can work for the good, right? And even the pagans can be called good. Uh, just because they're not part of the inner circle doesn't mean that everything they do is going to be detrimental to the faith or, or the, you know, the faith community. Right. And I think there's a sense of, we'll get to this when we get to the gospel, um, this idea that uh, everything belongs to God, pagan and yes. everything, secular and holy, right? The yes. sacred and the profane. <laughs> it all belongs to God. Everything is under God's uh, eye, as it were. And that hierarchy of, yes, everything belongs to God, but then he allows a kind of sovereignty to be established under him that's distinct from him, distinct from his own um, authority, but it can still work for the good, right? Right, because so. it's ultimately this authority that he's giving to, to Cyrus and to other kings is found in his authority. Exactly. Uh, and he shows, I think what Isaiah is trying to get at is God is sovereign over creation and the history of man yeah. and in the history of humanity. And I think if we can kind of break down the first reading, you have the first half sh- kind of shows this by saying that, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasped, subduing nations before him, making kings run in his, in his service, opening doors before him, leaving the gates unbarred. So this part right here, that section, mm-hmm. is showing it wasn't... Cyrus, who did these things, but it was I, the Lord, the Lord through yeah. Cyrus, who did these things. And I think what they're alluding to here is, as extra biblical writings get to, is that Cyrus had a very massive empire. Mm. And to your point, this massive empire will factor into Israel's liber- liberation. Right, exactly. It'll factor into their, their being free. It's Cyrus, who appears to be a bad king, insofar as he's not from David, that's a bad king, but he's actually the one that says, go back to your homeland, go back to Jerusalem, and I will rebuild the temple. I'll mm-hmm. help you. I'll finance it. Right. So you said, like, just because Cyrus is not an Israelite doesn't mean God can't work through him. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I'm reminded of uh, a gospel passage when um, the disciples are, or I was going to say, running around, and, um, <laughs> but no, they were <laughs> they were proclaiming the message of Christ, and, and uh, they report back to uh, our Lord, and, and they say, there are people who are healing um, outside of your name, right? Right. And our Lord says, do not prevent them, right? Uh, and it's essentially, I can't 
I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something along the lines of, uh, if they're not against me, then they're for me, right? right. Um, and so this uh, idea that even that which is not explicitly godly, um, like you said, can factor into the salvation of the world. Uh, yeah, so. I, w- I would say all good things can be yeah. absorbed. It's almost like our previous conversation about Acts of the Apostles and St. Paul's encounter with the Greek world mm-hmm. was, if it's good, it can be a part of Christianity. Uh, of Christianity. Yep. You know, even you know, a manifest sinner or something like that, but who's acting for the good mm-hmm. in this particular situation or doing things that are in line with you know, Christian belief, that's, a, that's good. Yeah. Even though they might not be Christian, they might be sus- suspect in many different ways, but if they're advancing things that are in line with Christianity, that is yep. a good thing. Right. It's baptizing the culture. And, You're right. And making those very careful distinctions of saying, like, this can work for the good. This actually has to be cut off. Right. Right. So. You know, it, I, I'm sure in the minds of the Israelites, you might wonder, just because Cyrus is not an Israelite and he's not of the line of David, is he a better or worse king than someone who is an Israelite mm. but who worships pa- pagan idols? Right, like <laughs> like the end of Solomon's life or something like that. Right. right. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you think about all these Israelite kings that set up all these idols in and the temple. And they all failed in the end, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, would you rather have that or you have Cyrus who's saying, I don't know your God, but I want you to worship your God, and I'm not going to stop you from it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, in fact, in finance it. Right. Say, well, that's, that's a pretty good king. Right, right. Even though, again, technically he's not one of us, yeah. as, you know, as you might say. And, but. you know, dare I make a, uh, oh, no. a real distinction I think, here? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just say that just because a politician is going to be Catholic, right? doesn't necessarily mean like, well, then he's going to work for the good of the Catholic Church. Sure. Right? Sure. Uh, sometimes the non-Catholic politician, we're smirking here. (laughs) uh, We'll just leave it at that, right? But the non-Catholic politician can actually work better for the church to be free. Sure. Um, So we have to look beyond the name at at times, right? Look beyond the the surface. Well, you have Isaiah, a prophet. Prophets are usually very critical of both the kind of priestly system and the kingly system. Mm-hmm. And he's hailing this, again, a, non, a non-Israelite. non Yeah. Because I think in Isaiah's mind, it's not just, are you in or are you out? It's, do you do the good things? Yeah. Do you do things that are working with God? Right. And that's what that's what matters here. Yeah. Not, and that's, the, that's you know. the bigger vision that prophets have, is that they see they don't just see the surface and are you, are you in or are you out? Like, they see the kingdom of God completely. Yep. So are you working for the greater? Right. Right. So, Yeah, exactly. Uh, so another part of this first reading, we have that the first chunk where God is saying, I did these things for Cyrus. It wasn't him alone. I grasped his hand and I led him, you know, kind of through this conquering. But it was for the sake of Jacob, my servant, mm-hmm. and of Israel, my chosen one. That's that's why I've done these things. Again, it, from the outside, it appears. Look at this, this man who's conquering these nations, and he's perhaps a warlord. You might look at him, but actually, through his conquering and through his kingdom, I do this for you. Yeah, and so that you can. It's for you know, the greater. Right, like, it's for the kingdom. Sure. Yeah, as you exactly. said. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, um, very good. I, I this uh, I do like this also. This idea here of. Um, I called you by name, though you knew me not. And that you serve me, 
there there are people, I think it calls to mind, there are people who serve God without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's almost this, I know, uh, participation in the natural law, maybe? Yeah, or I mean, the, I think one of the greatest examples is the Greek philosophers, uh, like Plato, Aristotle. Like, they were understanding things on such a deep level, albeit natural, not supernatural, but it has given way to understanding our faith in in, in a reasonable way, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's just one example. Um, there's so many other examples. There's some, you know, uh, I, I, you know, from a literature perspective, there's some great literature that really touches uh, the human heart and expresses the, you know, human nature really well that's not Christian. You know, like some poetry by Robert Frost, for example, uh, that expresses something that's beautiful and that is not in, it's not at war with Christian ideas. Uh, yeah. And so, right, I think we just, as discerning Christians, we need to be careful of what we let in and what we let out and for what reasons, right? Uh, just because something is not necessarily Christian by name doesn't mean that it can't work for the good. Um, you know, and we see that a lot in um, popular culture too. A lot of, you know, Christian movies that are um, just because it has a name, it's a Christian film, it's automatically accepted by everyone, right? Um, right. In, in the Christian community. Um, so. But yeah, you have Christian films, Christian music. Um, I feel like especially now, like we're so bifurcated with our you know, our political parties as well. It's like, are you, are you, again, it's the whole question, are you with me or are you against me? Yeah. And it's like, well, sometimes it's not that easy. Yeah. And I think we're going to get to that in the gospel, this whole idea of making simple distinctions between yes. right and wrong, or uh, I don't want to say right and wrong. It's not. Or like in the in group or in the out Yeah, group, right. Yeah. Um, any other ideas on the first reading? Or no. You know? um, we can move on to the psalm. Uh, so the psalm is from Psalm... 96. And this is a group of psalms that kind of celebrate celebrates God's kingship. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a, a psalm of honoring God's sovereignty over earth and its peoples um, and kind of portrays God as, as the divine king and judge. And this is found in other places, kind of this psalm, or the ideas of the psalm in other places in the Old Testament. But it, it kind of begins by saying, like, of this call for all of the earth to praise God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me try to find it here. You know, sing to the Lord all you lands. You know, tell tell of His glory among the nations, among all the peoples, His wondrous deeds. So it's it's not just Israel, but it's it's a call to all all peoples to acknowledge the the height and the glory of God. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of gets a little bit more specific, I would say, when it makes the same claim. God makes the same claim in he, in the psalm as he did in the first reading, which is he's beyond all gods. Mm-hmm. For all all the gods of the nations are things of naught, but it's the Lord who made the heavens. So ultimately, again, not prescribing power to the earth, you know, to the natural events that, you know, the, the power of kings and the power mm-hmm. of the elements are not gods themselves, but it's God. It's always God above them, working through them. Right. Yeah, and I think the connection here between uh, th- this message and the first reading is that everything is under God's 
again, his sovereignty. Yes. And it's not necessarily that he crushes every, everything under him, but everything is given its proper expression when it's placed in that proper hierarchy. Yeah. So ultimately, yes, we give the Lord glory and honor. But as we saw in the first reading, that even things that are not necessarily explicitly sacred um, can work for that glory. Uh, and so it's all, uh, all you lands, all the nations, despite Hebrew or pagan, right? Um, right. And so, yeah, all working for that greater, greater good, that greater glory. I think it goes to what Isaiah is trying to say is this, again, a universal kingdom. That it, it won't mm-hmm. be about Israelite versus non-Israelite, but it'll be about those who praise God. Yeah. Those who worship the one God who mm-hmm. made the heavens and the earth and for whom like all the other gods are as if they didn't exist. Right. That's gonna be the, the criterion, not not a, a national identity. Right, not superficial labels. So the the main so it, it, there's a, a nice connection, usually there is, between the psalm and the first reading of this idea that God is the God King who controls the cosmos and he's the God King who kind of dispenses justice equally to all peoples of the earth. And not just to the Israelites, but even to the non-Israelites who can, can, who can fulfill his will. As you said, right. not as a tyrannical King does he impose his sovereignty on people, but as, as a properly functioning a whole, you know, right. like you said, uh, in any like company or, or family or you know, name it, you know, the church itself. There's a hierarchy, and the hierarchy exists not as a chain of power, mm-hmm. uh, like I have more power than you, but as it as a chain of dis- dispensing, I guess, God's will or, or fulfillment of God's will. Right, right. And that's how God controls the cosmos and the history of man. Yeah, is that He's guiding even even the non-Israelites to the, the fulfillment of his kingdom and the, the preparation of his kingdom. Yeah, I think, you know, one, one thing that this speaks to is the respect that God has over... Uh, the respect God has to his creation in letting them be free as they will, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's very easy to think that God just... What he desires is everyone to just bow down and obey him by his own standards. And there is, tr- you know, some truth to um, living up to God's standards. But there's also uh, a re- that we have to recognize that, like, he, he has allowed his creatures to be free. And in the ways in which his creatures are free is how they worship him properly, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the respect God has for, for freedom here um, plays into giving God proper glory and honor. So... No, I think that's that's a that's a really good point when it comes to our our cooperation or, or nature's even nature's cooperation with divine providence is it's it's not just this bowing down, but it's actually that God wants us to freely participate mm-hmm. with Him and and the and the accomplishment of His will. Right. It's not again. I, I think sometimes we see it as like this this power game, but even or even like a knowledge thing, right? It's like well, God has. Uh, he's all powerful and he's all knowledgeable. So what's the point? But it's it's actually providence is a manifestation of his goodness. Yeah, right. It's exactly. like it's good that you are free, and it's good that you can freely enter into this right. plan with me. And that's what uh, Aquinas would call the call the uh, dignity of causality. Right. That God has allowed us to participate freely in His plan um, yeah. to to redeem the world. So. Yeah, that's 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 good. 
It's true. Um, anything, anything else in the psalm? No. The psalm was kind of simple. It just reinforced. Give the Lord glory and honor, man. Yeah. That's, <laughs> let's go. That's all, that's, that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Just don't, like all this other stuff. Just, don't worry about just it. Just praise the Lord. All right? Like, praise the Lord and, and love your vocation, love your family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> simple. Uh, okay. So moving on to the second reading. So we're, we're starting off. Uh, I think we'll finish the year, the lectionary cycle, with First Thessalonians. And I believe uh, scholars think that this is the earliest letter of St. Paul. Okay. It's a, it's a bit of a strange letter, too, at times. And it's because it's, it's very focused on the, the second coming of Christ. So maybe mm-hmm. it's a fitting letter to end the year with. Okay, right, but right. It has a. It's very eschatological and apocalyptic in its language, and it you know has some strange passages. I, th- I wrote a paper in my Pauline class. I think I think it was First uh, Thessalonians or Second, where he talks about um, kind of this the abomination. I think being set up in the in the temple. Yeah, and it's very unclear as to if he's talking about the earthly temple okay. or some sort of like heavenly temple, right, some right. sort of uh, like satanic takeover or something. But either way, it's it's very oriented towards the end times, and what Saint Paul is trying to get the Thessalonians to kind of wrap their minds around is to not focus on the present sufferings to, mm-hmm. to encourage them, but to focus on the second coming of Christ. Right. That 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 line in the middle of this reading, um, endurance and hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. So. Hope is the basis for which you endure to the end, right? Yes, uh, and and that's what gives it. That's what gives this letter a the um, eschatological, uh, yes, flavor as yes. it were. So yeah, no, that, yeah. That, that that's exactly it. He's talking about to to do the work of faith and the labor of love and to endure in hope mm-hmm. because time is running, running out. out. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, don't worry about all these other things. If you know, apparently. I think uh, is it Thessalonica is, is the, the proper city. name. Is the yeah. city? Yeah, had a, a number of major pagan temples, mm-hmm. and so he's kind of saying, "Don't you know? Don't look to any of these other events. Don't look to your present suffering, or don't worry about your your sufferings now. Don't worry about what you know the pagans are doing, but focus on the Christian virtues. Mm-hmm. Uh, virtues, and he, and he mentions the three. You know, the work of was it labors of love, work of faith, faith and hope? Hope. That's right. Yeah. Just like focus on the the virtues. Yeah. And join, you know, your your deeds to these virtues and everything will be okay. Yeah. Don't worry exactly. about the don't worry about the present sufferings. Right. I think and, it yeah. Go ahead. No, well that's that's just what, what hope is, is looking forward to the end. Um yeah. and realizing that all will be well if you place your faith and hope in Christ, and and you can do all things, and endure through anything, um, as long as your eyes are fixed on that end, and you're eagerly awaiting. Um, so, I think this is a good passage for, not just in the lectionary cycle and in in these few readings, you know, talking about the kind of unexpected or again unlikely hero of Cyrus. You know, it's probably not how the Israelites thought they'd be liberated was right. through yeah. again a pagan king, or. Um, or even just our, our present situation, you know, we, it seems like I was just talking to a friend of ours about, you know, it seems like World War Three mm-hmm. is on the brink here. Yeah. And everyone's, you know, kind of tuning into the news and they're resharing, you know, news stories and 
this atrocity and that atrocity and this atrocity. And, and certainly I'm, I'm not advocating for people to bury their heads mm-hmm. or to not be scandalized by horrific events. But I do think there's something to, to Paul's point here about think, think of Christ. You know, like the, the world is in many ways out of your hands, mm-hmm. you know. Right, right. And sure, be informed, but there's little that you can do other than to pray for yeah. peace. And, you know, and what's going on in our kind of torn up world right now. <coughs> no, that's sorry I, about that. No, I, <laughs> that's fine. I think no, that's exactly right, and that's I think that's such a sage piece of advice for you know news that is so um, wrought with chaos and you know talk of war. It's so easy to just get like get glued to this all all this bad news. And lose sight of your own labor of love, as as Paul would say, uh, your own yeah. work of faith. You know, how are you enduring hope in Christ? Not not on a global level, but in your personal lives, right? Yeah. What are you doing to make your home that place of love and hope? Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's a great point because it can be these world events can be very distracting. It's distracting. That's from the, that's the right word. Yeah. And that, that sounds horrible, right? To be like you're distracted by. The death of innocence. Right, sure. Like, I, I, yeah. I'm not quite, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying, again, I'm not suggesting that you not be phased right. by the news. Or not pray for, you know, those who are right. lost. And, yeah. No, there's right. definitely some horrible things happening. But to also remember that I think if you want to help people, pray. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if do what's in your power. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have the power to, to end the suffering right now in, you know, Ukraine and in the Middle East, but I can pray, yeah, like you said, and I can do the labor of love in my immediate family, yeah, and I can endure this present moment because you know, in the end, perhaps World War Three does happen, and we're we're turned into a crater. A, a, yeah, everything. <laughs> the whole world is just blown to pieces, and it's like, well, what would your worry have? You know, I, I, it's not going to change that. Yeah, right. don't get me wrong. If I see a bunch of missiles in the sky, I'm going to be pretty freaky, yeah. you know, freaked out. <laughs> but even then, it's like, but I couldn't have stopped this. Right. Personally, right. I couldn't have. But, and I, if but I, could, I could do these things. Exactly. And if your hope is in Christ, then it's beyond this world. Yeah. And whether you die in, you know, surrounded by your family on your deathbed or by a missile strike, um, that shouldn't shake anything. You know, right. someone who has that true faith that goes beyond the world. So. so it goes back to what you said. Just give glory to God. Yeah, that's it. Give the Lord glory and honor. Give the Lord glory Period. and honor in, in all things. And I don't pretend that uh, I wouldn't, it would be very easy if I was in the Middle East to do these things. But No, sure. <laughs> and it's, it's one, you know, it's easy to say, well, just pray, you know. But um, when you're living through chaos and, <coughs> you know, Sorry. especially, yeah, you know, for uh, again, it, we're in America here and it's, yeah, we get we get everything filtered through news and everything's very yeah. comfortable because it's behind the screen. Um, but some people are really living, you know, living through chaos on a personal level. Like yeah. death and violence is what they see. Um, yeah. But even then, like as as bold as it sounds, is like you're those people are also are called to take hope in Christ, right? Yeah. And to still act, anchor themselves. Um, so. I will say as a parting note on this reading that uh, if you're not in one of those areas, which you, you and I are not, I think it's important to be grateful for that. You know, yeah. like to be yeah, grateful yeah. for the peace that we enjoy that, now. That, that yeah. you enjoy now. 
and out of gratitude, practice these virtues. Right. And pray for those who do not have it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That they may have it. Right. Um, but right. For, just be grateful. Okay. Any other? You want to move on to the gospel? Let's move on. Okay. So here we are in the gospel, and we're tackling, like I said, the two things that you're never supposed to talk about at, <laughs> at dinner. At dinner. Over Thanksgiving. Yeah. So uh, Jesus is cornered in the gospel by the Pharisees and the Herodians. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little important to kind of jump, you know, kind of go into them a little bit. Mm. Um, because on one hand, they're sort of unlikely allies. Right. But you could say that the enemy of my enemy is my is friend. My, is, you know, is my friend. Yep. So the Pharisees are a little bit more, I would say, religiously dogmatic or they're a little bit they're not they're legalists maybe yeah they're, they're not keen on the, the tax it's just going to mm-hmm. be the heart of the issue they they're not happy that they have to pay the roman tax they do it but they'd rather not whereas the herodians kind of presumably supported the tax because they kind of had power with the romans mm-hmm. um they the herodian empire was sort of under a a roman suffrage uh, sufferance. So they would be expected to pay the tax and to support it. So they kind of ally together, right? And they mm-hmm. say, to, as the gospel says, to entrap Jesus in speech. So the Pharisees go off with Herodians. You know, you can imagine the, the Pharisees saying, we believe not to pay the tax. You Herodians believe in paying the tax. So they pose the question, uh, teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You are not concerned with anyone's opinion. If you do not regard a person's status. So kind of honey words, you know, mm-hmm. like you're such a good guy. Right, right. <laughs> um, Buttering so, them up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't work on Jesus. He says, knowing their malice. But he said, tell us, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? So is God, does God support the Pharisees or does God support the Herodians? Right, yeah. They're kind of making this false dichotomy. Yeah, really. false dichotomy and false yeah. dilemma of which one is it going to be? Yeah, and they're trying to to ensnare him because if he says it's lawful to pay the tax, maybe he appeases the Herodians, but then the Pharisees are going to say, "Oh, he's he's a sellout," mm-hmm. right? Right. But if he says it's not lawful to pay the tax, then he's a a revolutionary. He's a rebel. Right. Right. And they can perhaps yeah. arrest him or have him arrested, seeing see he doesn't. He doesn't believe that it's right to pay the tax. But Christ, as he often does, kind of goes a third route. Yeah, flips the whole thing on his head. That's, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> flips the table, flips the argument. Yeah. <laughs> and says, uh, it's funny, why are you testing me, you hypocrite? So the, kind of the, the notion there of hypocrite in the Greek is someone who kind of plays a part. Yeah, right. So why are you... Right. Uh, pretending that you know you, you respect me, what you know? Why right. do you, you know, you're flattering me with these empty words. Uh, but there's a, a subtlety here. I'll, I wonder what your opinion is. Ask you know. You, I know you don't care about what is your opinion. You know what I know your opinion. Uh, you're not concerned about the person's status. No. I'll ask your opinion. <laughs> um, and he says, "Why are you testing testing me, you hypocrite? Show me the coin that pays the census tax." And says tax, and they say that they handed him a Roman coin. So the person who poses the question is a Pharisee or a disciple of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I'm gathering semantically. Yeah. 
and say, then they. So I'm guessing that they is the Pharisee? Well, so it says in the beginning that um, they sent their disciples to him, the Pharisees did, uh, with the Herodians, right? And so it seems like this, this, this group, right, this group of Pharisees and Herodians that are testing Jesus. And so they then handed, then they handed him the Roman coin. Uh, and so from here on out, uh, I, I think it's it, the way that uh, Matthew frames this whole gospel is Christ versus this one group that is made up of Pharisees and Herodians, right? Okay. And and, and so it's like, it's really like Christ versus the world here, right? <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you can almost boil down like this, uh, the Herodians and Pharisees to like this antagonizing spirit that Christ is trying okay. to. Okay, yeah. That's that's the way I'm reading it. Because um, I, I didn't know that the they was maybe the Pharisees and they produce a coin. And it's like, okay, so clearly, even if you supposedly are against the tax, you have the coin. Right. So you okay, are so you are paying the tax, but that's perhaps I mean, too... Uh, that could, no, that could be possible because it seems like the, the main... Uh, the main group is the Pharisees, yeah. right? Um, that they sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. So the Herodians are kind of like, while they're one group, one one antagonizing group against Christ, it seems like the Pharisees are the ones who are um, leading this, right. this plot against Christ. Yeah. So. Uh, either way, they hand him the coin and he said, and he said to them, whose image is on the, whose image is this and whose inscription? He said, they replied, Caesar's. And at that point he said to them, then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. So that's the, the famous line here. Render yeah. unto Caesar, render unto God. Yep. So this is often kind of interpreted as a a, a, legitim, a legitimizing, I guess, of separation of church and state. Right, right. You know? But I think what it's actually maybe a little bit more subtly is trying to do is to say that they – had this false dichotomy, you know? Do you do you obey the authority or do you not obey authority? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying that obeying authority, legitimate civil authority, is not against obeying God, the obligations of God. Again, trying to tie it back to the first reading, mm-hmm. you know, that God can, in fact, work through the civil authorities, yeah, and through the civil level. Not only can, but does, right? Right. Yeah. That, that's his like. Again, like respecting uh, the sovereignty of each individual thing, respecting their freedom to operate as I- intended. God works through that naturally. Right. And it's like certainly God and Christ, you know, kind of refuse or reject any sort of oppressive despotic power or something like that, or you know, people who wield power as though they were gods. However, he does affirm civil authorities as legitimate. Yeah. But in the same way that you render unto civil authorities what is due to them, you are likewise supposed to do with God. Right. And so, you know, the question I think that arises at the end of the gospel, repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. The question is what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God? Yes. And so we can say that what belongs to Caesar is temporal power perhaps, right? Uh, you know, the realm of politics and um, judging things practically, uh, 
in in our natural affairs um, should be a, a under the realm of Caesar, right? Under the realm of politics. The question now then is what belongs to God. The answer is, according to our readings, everything, <laughs> right? Um, yes. And so, you give the Lord glory and honor, right? Um, sing to the Lord all you lands. Tell his glory among the nations, among all peoples. Uh, that was a psalm uh, in the first reading. Uh, I am the Lord, there is no other, right? There's this sense of complete sovereignty over all things. And so... With, the, with that in mind, when we say repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God, I think there's a natural hierarchy that arises from this where everything is God's. And under that domain, we can have a mini domain <laughs> of the realm of politics, right? And so when we give to Caesar, when we render justice to temporal powers, we're also rendering justice to God too. It pleases God. Yeah. In that way, um, you know, this is this is the essence of piety in a sense, right? Uh, traditionally speaking, piety is justice done unto God, family, and country, right? And so, when you render justice, what is due to uh, temporal power, uh, you're covering all things, really. Um, it, it pleases God on every level. So yeah, yeah, I I've, I think that's that's exactly it. That's spot on to what I was thinking as well. Um, but also that Christ is trying to make a distinction here is give, give this coin back to Caesar. It's his image. It belongs to him. Give it back to him. But to me, give praise. Yeah. What, what, what am I owed? What do you render to me? As you said, pointing out to the Psalm, you, I, the God is, is owed or rent or should be rendered glory and praise. Yeah. You can give your money to the civil authorities. Give your praise to me. Yeah. Right. You know, don't. Don't kind of confuse the two or inflate the two. Yeah. Certainly, you know, probably in the back of their minds, they're also thinking that, you know, Caesars were now being worshipped as gods. Right. Or the semi-gods. That is, that is so true, yeah. So bound up with paying Caesar is a civil thing, but also a religious thing. And he's saying, no, 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 just give him this coin. Yeah. You know, he's temporal. This coin is temporal. Right. Give it to him. But to God, give him the things of God. Yeah. You know, it's... It's interesting, too, that by the image that's on the coin, we can see what belongs to Caesar, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you can, you know, make this symbolic analogy where it's like, well, what's the image on our souls, Yeah. right? And so if this coin has an image of Caesar and that means that that coin belongs to Caesar, and if we're in made in God's image— and that means that we belong to God ultimately. Yes. Right? And so there's a sense of, you know, us as God's property, just as the coin is Caesar's property. So right. That's certainly how many church fathers read this. Mm-hmm. Is that the image of the coin belongs to Caesar, it's his image, but you bear an image as well, kind of like the coin of your soul. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they they have this, of course they didn't call it this. This is a modern interpretation of a church father's is you know, on the great tax day. Of of the, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of uh of the final judgment, you're gonna have to get that coin back. Yeah, exactly. Not ten percent of the coin, you know, it's the whole coin. The whole right? coin. Yeah, the, whole, the whole yeah, coin. that's right. Now this ten percent tithing. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's the whole coin. <laughs> because we do have to remember this is a weird dialogue if we 
situated in again the eschatological discourses. You know, this is towards the end of mm. the lectionary, towards the end of the year, towards yeah. the end of his uh, Christ's ministry, and then you're getting this question about taxes, right? You know, and money, and you're like, well, what does this have to do with the end times? Yeah, and I think there is a way to read it as as uh, the coin as you, mm-hmm. as you, your soul is stamped with an image. And that image, you said, what, what, what do you give back to God? Everything. Yeah. Praise, honor, worship, glory, your life, you know, everything belongs back to God. Exactly. And I think there's also maybe a, um, I'll make a word on kind of how, I think modern politics has become very, you know, messianic mm. in a lot of ways. You know, like we, we, we right. kind of think about, like he's the one that's going to fix our problems. Yeah, like this is the man, right? Yeah, that will put us back on track. I, I feel like yeah. the, the the Catholic, especially I would say, especially the Catholic with Catholic social teaching, can kind of feel like Christ in this gospel. You know, it's like, what? Which one? Which party does God support? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, exactly. is, is God yeah. Republican or is God Democrat? Right. And the answer is God is God. Yeah. No. Like he's, <laughs> the he's answer a, is no. <laughs> right. Right. It's like. You know, people always kind of want to know, like, and you have to be very careful of this because I think people fall into it a lot about, like, oh, God's on my side. Mm-hmm. Again, it was like this kind of Cyrus kind of, right, right. oh, like, you know, he's on our, you know, he's on my team. Trust me. Yeah, give me the label so that I can know who he is, right? Right, That's, right. Because yeah. we want kind of, yeah, we want these quick judgments. I don't want to put too much time into research. Yeah. This guy kind of says, well, he says, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. Totally. Okay, check it off. He's on my team. Yeah. It's like, well, not necessarily, and. You know, especially I think Catholics are put into a, you know a, a big dilemma because their Catholic social teaching is Catholic. Yeah, it has kind of plays both sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. And it's I, I think this false dilemma too comes up when with with ideologies. I was thinking about that on the drive. I don't know, but this idea you know of ideologies are half truths. They take a part of it. Right. They take a part and make it a whole. Anything that's true is going to be more complicated than the boxes that you can yeah. just put it in. Right. Right. Uh, that that black and white thinking is really simple minded. That's put, a yeah. yeah. That's a perfect way to say it because again, it's like, well, which side is God on? Yeah. It's like, well, he does support that, but he also supports that, right? And, and he, he also supports, supports that. He like, supports <laughs> that, but not in that way. Right. And he supports that, but minus this. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. There has to be so many nuances, and especially if if there's any movement or party that's going to gain some traction. It means that they're they're saying something that's at least partially true. Like there has to be some seed of truth in there, right? And so, you know, just to say like that's wrong, that's right, is just it's too simple. It's way too simple. Yeah. So Yeah. It's like is God is God a Pharisee or is God a Herodian? Right. It's like that's again false false dichotomy. Right. Why 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 those two options? Right. <laughs> right. Well yeah exactly. I, yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, we really have to keep in mind is you know, God is not on that side, right? Yeah. He's not on a side like that. Yeah. But it's it's tempting, you know, again, in our in our kind of bifurcated world, you know, it's very easy, you know, kind of we're getting more tribal. So we, Yeah, exactly. We wanna make we, sure God's on our, our yeah. on our side, on our in our tribe. And I think with so much chaos and like you know, so much so many political tensions, it's so easy to just be like, let me just choose one that best aligns with my thing and then just Go 100 percent on right. that, you know. Yeah, but we have to be way more discerning than that. But I think the gospel is saying that Christ is implicitly subordinating the the claims of Caesar's to the claims of God. 
It's like give God, yes. give give God glory and praise first. Yeah, exactly. Give him your coin. Yep. Um, and don't don't make the political God godly. Which yeah, I think definitely is very is very much happening on on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, there's definitely kind of like a if we just get the right guy, things will change. No, and, and, I, and I see that now, especially with when we were talking about the conflicts. It's like if we just get the right guy, yeah. like all this will. But go this away. is a perennial issue. Yeah. Like even back to the Old Testament, it's like if we just get a king, then we'll be fine. Right. right. Yeah, uh, but you know, put, do not put your trust in princes, as the as the psalms say, mm. right? It's a <laughs> mm. No, that's that's a that's a that's a perfect note to end on. Do yeah. not put your trust in princes. Yep. Put your trust in God. That's it. Not money. Not yeah. power. Humans fail. Humans fail. Not not the political. Put it in God. That's it. Kind of tired of the political. Everything's so political. I'm, t- I'm tired of the yeah. <laughs> tired of the princes. <laughs> Bring back God. Yep. <laughs> we want God. <laughs> we want God. All right. We'll, we'll end there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, please like, comment, share, subscribe, do all the things. Really uh, helps us out. We appreciate it greatly. Also, if you have a question about anything at all, please email us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.